Rhodium Radio. No sad podcast. Rhodium Radio. No sad podcast. In the shitty city of Wilmington, we keep it rocking. So come on, shake, shake it for me, Kelly. Yeah. Dr. Dre is in full effect, and I gotta tell y'all a little something. Easy E is down with us. MC Ring, you know he's down with us. DJ Yella is down with us. Arabian Prince, you know he's down with us. Tony A. The Wizard is down with us. JJ Fag is down with us. Timmy T, you know he's down with us. DJ Pooh Boy is down with us. Toddy P and Spade, they're down with us. My boy Ice Cube, you know he's down with us. I like to mention, so pay attention to where I'm from. Compton, but the tapes are from the rodeum. My name is Dre, listen while I play. And by the way, I'm also down with NWA. Yo, Steve at the rodeum is down with us. Slanging funky tapes, it is a must. We're number one. Yo, what up, everybody? This is Rodeum Radio episode. 36. Wow, 36. I remember our first date was September 11, 2019. A little bit over five months, and we've grown so much uh, since then. But uh, once again, before I introduce my next guest, a few uh, announcements. Once again, for those that it's not too late, if you want to submit your video after watching the documentary, uh, what your thoughts were. For everybody that has been submitting them, uh, give us a couple of more, uh, if you will, days. We're going to edit those and uh, place those uh, um, um, during the commercial break so you guys can uh, see how what other people said about the documentary. So far, all of them have been good. They've been overwhelming and uh, um, nothing but great, positive, uh, if you will, videos. So uh, I ran out of 88 booming bass, but uh, I have the three left that I'm selling for 3 four, 15 I have the high C. Uh, 24-7 and 86 in the mix. Uh, we're thinking about re releasing them, if you will. Um, stay tuned for that. Other than that, we are on all major platforms. So uh, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, whatever. We're everywhere. So once again, Rhodium Radio, episode 36. Without further ado, please allow me to introduce you to the Godfather of Long Beach, the owner of the world-famous VIP, and that's right, I said it, the world-famous VIP, Kelvin Anderson. Kelvin, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Tom. You know, uh, um, before we actually get into the interview, there's some things I want to share with you, okay? Okay. I remember as a kid, my brother used to DJ at a club in Long Beach called Grand Central Station. Of course. Uh, on the east side of Long Beach, and... Um, he used to buy records from two spots only, Steve Yano at the Vermont Swamp Meet mm-hmm. and uh, a place right up, PCH in Long Beach, VIP Records. And I remember when I first went there, I saw a guy by the name of King Tim. <laughs> and I soon, re- well, I soon found out that he was your brother. Yeah. Up until that point, I had only heard scratching on a record called Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel. And then I saw Grandmaster Flash scratching uh, on TV. It was like a commercial for something. I saw him scratching behind his back and stuff, but I had never seen scratching in person. Right. It wasn't until I went to VIP Records 
And there I saw King Tim, and I was just mesmerized. And I remember as a kid, I even asked him, who taught you? You know, I, I, I'm thinking somebody had to teach him, but he said, no, I just practiced. Yeah. That's just what he said. And I remember I said, well, well what's your name? All, all along while my brother was looking at records and he said, they call me King Tim. And I was like, wow. And I remember after that growing up, I'm about to be 52 years old <laughs> and King Tim has been or a major role in my DJ career because I always wow. tell people the King Tim story. Wow, so, that's that's super. Yes, and King Tim is your brother. Yeah, right. that's my uh, baby brother. And, uh, you know, I never really thought about who taught him, but, yeah, he was self-taught. Yeah. And, uh, and would be big today, but for some reason he just lost love for it. And, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he definitely uh, sold thousands of mixtapes and yes. stuff over the you know over those years and he taught a lot of other cats to uh uh be a dj and stuff so one thing about him that i can say that you know there are some djs that uh um, that are good you know they're a little bit sloppy but but they're good one thing i noticed about him he was not a sloppy cat his cuts were were crisp <laughs> and i remember my brother brought home a mixtape of his and he was cutting up. The first time I ever heard anybody cut up, let the music play by Shannon. <laughs> and he, and I, you know, cause, cause you're thinking they're, they're going to cut up clear and planet right. rock. Right. But when he was cutting up Shannon, I was like, Oh my God. And I, and I'm going to confess something. And if he's watching, I'm going to give you all the credit. <laughs> I stole his style from let the music play the way he cut it up. I went to a, uh, house party and they said you want to spin i said yeah you got to let the music plays and i pretty much reenacted <laughs> what he did on that mixtape so wow i confess Tim. I'm, I'm sure he's on it <laughs> so now uh, um let, let's jump right into it kelvin because for me it's truly an honor and a pleasure to to have you here because i believe you're a man you're you're walking history you know, you're walking history. So let's jump right into it. Where was Kelvin Anderson uh, uh, raised at? Oh, okay. I'm from a little town called Brandon, Mississippi, and that's probably like about 20 miles south of Jackson. So I grew up, this is a big family of, family of 10 siblings, six boys and four girls, very loving parents. Uh, and believe it or not, there was only gospel music played in our house no r&b no blues uh and for all of the kids to end up in the industry almost you know store owners but uh no we was uh had us and grew up basically on a farm in the country so it ain't like we grew up in a huge community and so we all had our job assignments and so i guess that's the reason why most of us left home early you know <laughs> because uh you know, and, and I give my parents a lot of credit for, you know, the person that I am today. Yes, yes. But uh, in 1972, I graduated from high school, May 22nd. On the 23rd, I said goodbye to all of my friends and family. And on the morning of the 24th, I caught a Delta flight out of Jackson, Mississippi, around 6 a.m. And with the time change, I made it to L.A. around 1030 that morning. My brother Cletus picked me up from the airport, 
took me to breakfast, took me by his house to drop off my luggage, and at 1 o'clock that day, I was working at VIP. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. VIP. He, he found the VIP in 1967, so and a lot of people don't know the first VIP record was in... Uh, on in South Central on 108th and Broadway. Wow! And that was in '67. And a couple of years after that, he moved to a bigger store on 108th and Main Street. So that's where he worked when I moved out here in 1972. So okay. So now, obviously, uh, Cletus was out here first. Oh yeah. How, how how long was it that he was out here before you came out here? Well, I think he came out in. 63, I think, 62 or 63. Okay. We had a friend of the family that lived out here because uh, it, it was amazing that we ended up out here because uh, my parents' uh, sibling grew up and moved to, my mom's sibling moved to Chicago and my dad's siblings moved to New York. So we had nobody out here. So wow. a friend of the family lived out here that he visited and uh, they uh, gave him a place to stay for a couple of months and he got him a job and and uh, as we grew up, we kind of came out <laughs> and joined him. You know, as a kid, okay, as a kid, uh, when I say as a teenager, I should say, the only thing that I ever heard of Mississippi was a story of Robert Johnson at the crossroads. Because uh, I saw it in a movie. Oh, wow. You know, I saw it in the movie. As a matter of fact, the Karate Kid played. It was a, a fake story, but uh, do, do, do you know the Robert Johnson story from Mississippi? I, I really don't. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, uh, and again, whether it's true or not, people were saying that he met the devil at a crossroads <laughs> in Mississippi, and the devil, if you will, gave him musical powers to play the guitar or whatnot. Oh, that was the blues guy, Robert Johnson. Robert, oh, yes. Okay, I, I did kind of hear a little okay. something about and that And that was story. like the only thing that I ever heard, and it wasn't until like 19, I want to say 92, or may, maybe 91, that we actually went through New Orleans, Mississippi, and then we were we stayed in Louisiana for like seven days because we were performing out there. Yeah. But uh, I, I like I Mississippi, and it's funny, I usually tell my everybody that in in uh, United States, they always say, what was the best place you ever went to in the United States when you performed? I'll be honest with you, I really, really enjoyed Louisiana. We were there like for seven days. Mm -hmm. First time I tried gumbo and I loved it. What, in New Orleans? Uh, no, in uh, Louisiana. Oh, it wasn't in New Orleans? Louisiana? No, it wasn't. We, we only passed through New Orleans and we only passed through uh, uh, Mississippi. Okay, okay. But we stayed in Louisiana because High C family lived in Louisiana, so we stayed with them. Oh, cool. So, but yeah, so now, when you came over here, this was straight out of high school, if I'm correct? Yeah, two days out of high school. And, and uh, what encouraged you to come out here? Uh, <laughs> my <laughs> life, uh, probably, mm, I would say in the 10th grade, uh, me and my best friend said once we finished high school, we was going to truck driving school. We want to be long distance truck drivers. Okay. So my brother had opened a store and he, not, when he opened VIP Records, he had two jobs at Boeing. Well, at that time, it wasn't called Boeing. Uh, and he worked at General Motors and the aircraft place as a painter. So he had a record store and two jobs. And But I had my second brother, David, mm -hmm. was out here also. He had got out the military and came out here, so he was kind of at the store. And by the time I got out here, my third brother, Glenn, was there. So we were at this nice store on 108th and Broadway. So when I got out here, 
in 72, a few months after that, Cleta started opening a couple other stores. So wow. the first store that we opened was on Vernon and Figueroa in a shopping center right out the free freeway on Figueroa. And then he bought a store in Pasadena that used to be a Target store on Orange Grove and Fair Oaks. And in 74, he opened the best ever VIP record store on 28th and Crenshaw. You know, I'm glad I'm glad, Kelvin, that you're sharing this because there's a lot of people, especially this generation, think that VIP was just Long Beach. Yeah, a lot of people. You know, but the origins pretty much you're you're sharing with us now that there was actually eight VIPs, if I'm correct. When we got to Long Beach it was eight, but uh yeah. altogether at one point I would say we had uh like twelve locations under the name. Wow, wow. And now, uh just to ask, why VIP? Well, um, you know, <laughs> back in the day, record stores used to have a long, crazy name. Yeah. So uh, my, my brother wanted to keep it simple and stuff, VIP. So okay. that's a very important place. Or you a very important person. Right. So you just kept it simple. Just kept it simple. Yeah. So, so when you came out here, was this the first time you were ever out here? It was my second time. Okay. So I got a chance to visit out here when he was on 108th and uh, Broadway in the store that time was probably twice the size of this room. Wow. But when he moved from 108th and Broadway to 108th and Main, it was probably bigger than VIP in Long Beach store now. Okay. So that's, you know, and, uh, you know, without a doubt, my brother was the smartest retailer that I ever met and stuff. His philosophy in doing business, you know, back then, you know, he used to get credit for selling a lot of music. Well, his Big concept was that he didn't necessarily want to make a lot of money on a few people. He wanted to make a little money on a lot of people. A lot of people. So in within that and stuff, he had the cheapest prices. And so, of course, you know, if I'm getting something cheap, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. So a lot of our business came from word of mouth because uh, uh, we had the best prices and, and, and nobody knew the music like we did. And so... Right. He taught us that, you know, in order to be a good salesperson, you got to know what's play, being played on the radio. So we have to always know what the top 20, top 40 charts was on K-Day, KGFJ, KJLH. I mean, we that was our job because normally people, when they walk into the store, they get a brain freeze. Yeah. And you have to help dig it out of them <laughs> and stuff. So sometimes they can only say, go like... And then we would, we would be able to pick it up because yeah. we know we, we yeah. monitor radio like you that. You were able to name that tune. Definitely. And we were good at it. Awesome. Now, when you started working for your brother at the VIP when you first came here, what was, if you can recall, what was the music that was popping at that time? What was hot, if you could remember? Well, you know, definitely R&B. We, we specialized in R&B, jazz, uh, gospel, and blues. Uh, you know, so I would say definitely your Marvin Gaye yeah. was a big thing. Uh, uh, Freddie Jackson, uh, Luther Vandross, um, Aretha Franklin, who is my favorite artist of all time, yes. hands down, Aretha yes. Franklin. And uh, you know, it was it was our it was our R and B driven situation. Yes, so. yes. You know, um, since you brought up Marvin Gaye. The first time, and I saw it on YouTube, 
but the, that was the first time I saw it. I didn't see it live. But when he sang the Star Spangled Banner, oh yeah, Marvin Gaye. I'll be honest, that made me cry. Wow, it, it, that, that was beautiful to me. Yeah. I still think that he holds the record for the best Star Spangled Banner. My opinion. That was, that was definitely different, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was definitely impactful, and a lot of people was definitely out looking for it. Yes, yes, you know, and the thing is, is because it was almost like a sexual healing type of uh, yeah. style that he right. did. Uh, for those of you that want to hear it, you can YouTube it, Marvin Gaye, Star Spangled Banner, may you rest in peace. Right. Do you remember, Kelvin, your first in-store and who it was? First in-store? At your brother Kalidus' house. First in store. Well, I can remember a few big ones that mm -hmm. we had on, like uh, okay. on Crenshaw, where we had in store with uh, uh, George Clinton in Parliament. And uh, these in stores were so big that we had to do them outside. Outside. We okay. uh, had uh, Stevie Wonder came there uh, and did a big in store. Um, I remember because the pictures in my head of uh, <laughs> uh, the Brothers Johnson. Brothers I remember Johnson. because my daughter, he took nice pictures with my daughter uh, uh, at that end store. But you know, uh, we had like a lot of lot of big people. My brother, uh, he uh, he he studied, you know, uh, what the successful business, uh, success, other successful retailers was doing and stuff. And, you know, he picked up a lot of tips from Tower Records and stuff okay. on how to uh, uh, present stuff. I think that's where he got the billboards, outside billboards, idea from Tower Records. But uh, we were always, uh, we was always changing. And uh, uh, like I say, thanks to him, uh, it helped propel VIP as being the place that you mm -hmm. want to get your music in, uh, you know, the place where you would get that special uh, touch as far as your music is concerned. Okay. I, I know towards the end we're going to talk about the what we talked about prior, uh, the VIP experience. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, do, you have, do you still have pictures of a lot of this stuff? A lot of pictures, yeah. A lot of pictures. Yeah. What about possible film? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely have some film too of uh, some of the in-stores. Uh, uh, I would say fast forward and I probably got a little footage of uh, the Snoop Dogg in-store and the uh, in-store with uh, Shaq when Shaq came to Long Beach. Okay. Uh, when uh, LL Cool J came. Uh, wow. Yeah, so... I, we definitely have, because I'm like a pack rat, man. I don't know how to throw <laughs> nothing away. You know so what? I and I, I, <laughs> I, I'm a lot the same way. I, I, I'm a collector. And I will say that Steve Yano, may you rest in peace, uh, when we started working together, he would take pictures of everything, yeah. of everything. Uh, there wouldn't be, have been a documentary uh, about Steve Yano, the, the Swampy vendor from the city of Whittier, if we would not have ever incorporated all the pictures that he took. Wow. Yeah, you know, because, uh, and I and at the very end, I also, not only did I say, you know, in memory, in loving memory of Steve Yano, but I also gave him photo credit mm. for all the pictures. Did you? Yeah, and he would always give me a, a stack. Here you go, and I was like, what's this, more pictures? Throw them in a shoebox, <laughs> you know, not knowing that one day they would actually right. play a role. Right. You know, but now. Yeah, Steve was a very special person 
to yes. me, Cletus, VIP Records, man, you know, and, and I always think of Steve and Susan as a team, <laughs> always, yes, always, always. And, uh, you know, hats off, man, to uh, what he did to impact artist uh, development and growth, you know, over the years that he was really into the business. And, you know, he wasn't just into it on a whim. He actually knew the music, you know. Yes. He, he was an inspiration. Yes. We did a lot of things together. Uh, um, and people can hear more of that as well in the documentary because we actually, uh, we interviewed you at right. VIP. Right. And you shared so much more. Right. Um, what were some of the in-stores during the time of your brother Cletus' stores when you were working for him that maybe stand out uh, that you would say this was a memorable one? Like, is was there any of them? Well, outside of the three that I mentioned, um, uh, yeah, we had Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Oh, wow. Uh, came through. Uh, we had Donna Summers uh, <laughs> did a nice in-store. Uh, Barry White. Um, Barry White. Wow. Yeah. So because then, you know, it was like way before rap. Right, You know, right. the emotions, uh, Sister Sledge, Boosie Collins. You know, it was like... Yeah, I mean the, the Jackson the, Five. The, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> a little later on, uh, okay. after uh, Warehouse Records opened up their mega stores called Big Ben, Cletus to counteract that he opened up our mega store and it was called Freeway Records. Freeway Records and Freeway Records was on the corner of uh, Santa Barbara and Weston. It was formerly like. Um, uh, like a Savon or something. It was okay. it was huge. So we did uh install that with the Jackson Five. Wow. And uh that was uh that was amazing. You know, since a person like me doesn't know about in stores because I was never necessarily in the record selling business, I would just help Steve since my first job was with Steve Yano selling vinyl. But obviously I never knew how he got them or where he bought them from or whatnot. How, how does one get in contact with, if you will, like the Jackson 5 and say, we would like to have you, you know, do an in-store or was it the other way around? Did some artists contact you guys? Well, no, it starts with the uh, your, your labor rep. So okay. your, your representative from Sony, uh, Warner Brothers, or BMG, uh, either, you know, we might request it or we might also, uh, they might say, hey, you know, we got... Uh, Bill Withers in town and stuff, you know, we, he, he got time we can bring him through if you'd like to have him. So, uh, it, it works either way, but it starts with pretty much your rep. Okay. And then he take it to the office to, you know, the, the marketing promotion team. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if they think it's a good idea and want to, uh, uh, you know, invest in it to market and promote it. We bring in the merchandise and we make it make it happen. Awesome. Now, when the Jackson Five came, uh, do you remember about what year and possibly maybe how old Michael was? Oh wow! So that was um, yeah, I would say that was like seventy eight, seventy nine. Wow. I'll say yeah, around seventy seven, seventy eight was the year, wow. and uh, yeah, he was. Uh, he was a little standoffish and stuff, <laughs> but uh, it all went good. I, I wish I had the picture to show you, but I'll show it to you one day. Wow. Yeah. You know, I was probably about nine or ten years old, and me loving music, hearing these stories, and speaking to a man that was there, 
that was a part of history for me. It's like fifty goosebumps, <laughs> you know, I, 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 because I really love music right. that much. So when I hear stories like this, yeah. especially when I had Violet Brown and she she would share stories about MC Hammer and right. uh, uh, Tina Marie or whatever. Of course, and, you know, I still sit back as a fan and say, you know, you you knew them, like you <laughs> met them, you know. So yeah. believe me, to me, it's a blessing to be able to uh, sit here and uh, uh, and you speak on the history of VIP because a lot of people, once again, they just think one VIP and that was off of Martin Luther King and PCH, and but that's not it. It was yeah. more of a history, yeah. you know, more yeah. of a history. Now, uh, before your brother bought the location in Long Beach, um, how many stores did he have at this time? You, I, I know you said at one point it was 12. Yeah, okay. I, I would say at the most at one time it was probably about 12 locations within the family. Uh, my sister Lisa and her husband at one point had five stores because she had the store on Slauson and Crenshaw right across from Nipsey's store. Okay. She had another store on Slauson and Western and her husband had three other VIP stores uh, uh, two in Compton, Rosecrans and Central, and the other one, um, I guess, like Willowbrook, okay. something like that. And my brother David had one on uh, Slauson and Alameda right across the street from the courthouse. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was, you know, VIP stores everywhere. And, and which one would you say, and I thought you mentioned it was the biggest one or the one that drew the most attention? Yeah, the 28th and Crenshaw by mm -hmm. far. By far. The best VIP store well, ever. Well, why do you think that was? Well, I mean, we did the biggest volume there. You know how you, when, you know, and you know, of course, albums and stuff was big during those years. That was like, that store was opened up in 74. And, you know, you would take the records and put them in the bin or you take the records and put them on the rack. Right. We sold so many records, so it was an owl. And we just take them out the box and put the box down and put the records on top oh. of the box. And we, we, we sold so much music until the industry came to us. They want to know who are these guys and how yeah. how they able to do that? Well, during that time, um, my brother had, uh, we had the best sound system. It was like a studio, the yes. sound system in there. But we also had, DJs and that was all that was their job. All they did was play music and stuff. So it's like I'm a salesperson on the floor and you walk in and, and you ask for Marvin Gaye. So he hear you already. Yeah. So he gonna play that and that's the okay, I want that. So now he gonna play the next artist close to Marvin Gaye. So if you like Marvin, then you like Freddie. And then so it was like the same thing. If you came somebody came in and asked for BB King once you decide you want B.B. King, he's going to play Albert King. He's going to play Howlin' Wolf and stuff. So we just had this thing where we kept the pressure on. And right. uh, people like, oh, man, I like that. Right. Stuff. So nobody could, you know, had, had, yeah, no, nobody had had the drive that we had as an independent retail store. Wow. And uh, at, <laughs> my brother Glenn uh, in the early years, and this is actually during the 8-track years right and he probably like don't be telling my story but i'm gonna tell this one he actually uh because like i said you know the uh people normally when they come in they know what they want but they can't think of it and you remember i don't know if you remember this much about eight track tape 
is that you push it in and have this little silver metal piece in there that will flip it to the next track when it get around. Mm. It'll play all the way through and it get to that silver piece, it'll go to track two. And so <laughs> he would cover that up where it wouldn't change track, so it just stay in the same thing. And he would record 15 seconds of the top 40 songs. So you would come in the store and you would say, okay, yeah, I want Marvin, I want uh, Cool in the Gang. I want." And then once you finish, that's when he push it in. And you have to register ready to pay and you hear this? What's that? Yeah. Oh man, you got that? Okay, and then, man, it we used to be embarrassed. You know, first in the 15 was check day. Yes. And people would be in there and, man, they would spend all their money, man. I have actually felt embarrassed. I have actually said, have you paid your bills yet? And so because people, I found out people were sick with music. And it's crazy that uh, all these years that I've been in the business, uh, 41 years in Long Beach, but all together 48 years in retail, I never took music home. Never took music home. So my kids, friends, thought my kids had everything. Yeah, everything. <laughs> I, I never took wow. music home. I, so I don't have no home collection. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, that's awesome, you know. And uh, so, you know, and I'm going to tell you what's, to me, what's very important, at least in music stores, whatever ones are still around, is when I would walk in, and I would see a guy behind the turntables, like you would see a DJ. To me, that was something special, you know, because you could walk up to him and like, hey man, can you play Gordy's Groove? Or can you play Sucker MCs? And, yeah. you know, pull it out of the sleeve, put, drop the needle, and you're like, I want two of those, yeah. you know? It yeah. convinces people to, exactly. to buy more. Exactly. So, you and, know. and my brother's philosophy always was that if you came in and bought two, two, two records, I'm supposed to be able to at least sell you one. Because in the two that you bought, you just told me what you like. So I just play the next thing that's close to what you just bought. And normally that stuff will, will and a lot of times that's how we got a chance to push independent artists and stuff. So somebody, you know, I'll go to uh, the rap situation. Maybe somebody come in and buy Ice Cube and, and they buy uh, DJ Quick. Well, you know, I play something in those veins and stuff, right. and uh, independent cat that nobody even know of, and they like, oh man, yeah, I, you know, I like that. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, but I only have enough money for for two. Uh, well, you gonna have Ice Cube, so let me get that new cat because right. I want to turn it on, turn my right. buddies on to it. And right. Stuff, so. And that's how you break in the artist as well. Exactly. You know, exactly. You, you you can even tell them, hey man, this guy right here, he only pressed up a few and it's hot, <laughs> and people take it. Yeah, yeah. Well, people a lot of time it. people want to be that person on the block that got something new and different. Yes. So yes, uh, absolutely. yeah, in store play was king, man. Yes, without yes. a doubt. Kelvin, we're going to press pause right there and we're going to come back after a 10 minute break. Okay. I'm having a great time talking music history. I know you got a lot more stories and a lot, uh, a lot more to share. So yeah. we're going to take a little break. So everybody, once again, call somebody, take somebody, slap the hell out of somebody. Let them know that Kelvin Anderson from the world famous VIP is in the building. Go grab yourself a beer. Go, go get your popcorn ready. Make sure you call somebody. Let them know that Kelvin Anderson is live here on Rodium Radio. We'll be back. Tony A. the Wizard. Go use the restroom. We'll be here. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Rodian Radio, episode 36. Uh, before we get back to Kelvin Anderson, uh, the owner of the world-famous VIP record store, once again, I am running out of these three copies. Uh, 80 Booming Bass is already gone. I have High C, I have 24-7, and 86 in the mix. You can buy the three-pack for 15 bucks. Uh, I am considering, I'm not sure yet, and repressing them up and reselling them. But I know I am working on the other old school ones that I promised everybody that will be coming out uh, uh, soon. Um, so once again, send us your video, giving us a quick recap of what you guys thought about the documixery. 20 to 30 seconds long. Send it to us at rodeonradio at gmail.com. We'll edit it and we'll put it out on the uh, commercial break. So once again, without further ado, please allow me to, to uh, um, invite and uh, continue to speak on Long Beach history, but not only Long Beach history, LA history, okay? Kelvin Anderson, the owner of the world famous VIP record store. So uh, before we went to break, we talked about in-stores and how how that time nobody was really able to touch what you guys had to offer as far as the music is concerned at these record stores. Right. Uh, you guys had a DJ in storage. You guys had a plan when people would come in to play certain music, to make them want to buy more. And, and believe me, us DJs, I know sometimes we get our checks and we, we got bills and we got groceries, but we also want that vinyl. Yeah. We also want them cassettes. Believe me, there's been times where I spent up to at least 500 bucks, you know, <laughs> so I get it. Right. So now, your brother Cletus buys the Long Beach location, and soon after that, you take over or buy it from him. Am I correct? Yeah, he uh, opened VIP in Long Beach uh, June of '78. June of '78, yeah. And six months later, January of '79, I bought it from him. So I've actually owned it since '79. Uh, '79. I think it was soon after that that I. That's when I started going. Uh, I would say it was probably like 83 when I first started going. It was only because my brother would always go, come on, we're going to go to that record store. All right. And if I'm correct, if my mind serves me right, um, the DJ booth that you guys had in Long Beach, did they have a, like a little boat? Yeah, it was uh, our version of the Queen Mary. So my brother actually, that was his idea of uh, he just kind of had the Queen Mary busting through the wall. And uh, you walk around through the back and walk up on the stage and the DJ booth and the two turntables was uh, right there. And so people will walk up and, and we just play music for them uh, from, the, from the boat. So right. that was iconic. Uh, you know, it, it still should be there. Uh, won't say that I won't bring it back when we kind of recreate the VIP experience. But uh, yeah, that was a, a DJ booth that my brother put together. And, uh, uh, you know, ironically, when we, he opened the store uh, in the set, first group of uh, employees that he brought in was uh, Roger Clayton was in that group. And wow. so the first Technique 1200 that Roger ever touched was that VIP. Wow. And, uh, you know, he actually, uh, even after I took it over, he worked for me for like uh, another couple of years. Wow. Before he uh, went out on his own, and we all know that history. Yeah, yeah. For for those of you who are not sure or um, who, who Roger Clayton is, he is. Is it safe to say the founder of Uncle Jam's Army? 
He was definitely the count founder or co-founder. Okay. So, but he was definitely so, the head man. Yes, of Uncle Jam's Army. He used yeah. to work for Kelvin at VIP. That's where he got his start. Wow, that's that's awesome. I know a lot of because uh, me being a DJ for many years, uh, I always said this. If you were a DJ, you have to know at least two places, VIP and Steviano at the Rodium. You have to know, and I know there's other places, but right. at least these are my top two, right. you know, my top two spots because that's where Tony A got his start right. at VIP, if you will, and uh, Steviano. Right. Uh, um, to me, VIP, the Rolling Swami were two huge major uh, cornerstones, if you will, contributors to West Coast hip hop. You know? I, would, I would say so, uh, definitely, uh, you know, because we were definitely involved. Uh, when I look back, you know, uh, I look at, you know, the work we did with Toddy T, Miss Master Spade, you know, the L.A. Dream Team. Uh, you know, it was like the place that, you know, if you got a good project and and if we listen to it and we like it, then it, it was more likely going to do something because we definitely had a strong customer base and, uh, you know, we was very aggressive in selling. You know, actually, uh, as I look back, uh, my brother Cletus actually sold the first rap record in on the West Coast in California. We all know that the Sugar Hill Gang wasn't the first rap group, but... Yeah nationally they were the first rap group yes and uh when uh sylvia robinson sending out him out to la for him to take a listen to it, and he we listened to it and so she said you guys think you can sell it so he said of course we can sell this so we put it in all our stores and then after that we put it got it in all of the vi other independent record stores that cleta sold to and then when k-day picked it up it was a wrap it was a rap. But yeah, first rap song definitely was played, uh, uh, was sold at VIP. You know, w w one thing that I want people to get from this interview is people like yourself, Violet Brown, and, it's, and I'm sure there's others here in the West Coast, but you guys were there when hip hop started. Right. Started. There's very few people that can say I was there when it started. And to see all of these up and coming artists to end up at your stores, pretty much, you know, inviting the public to come meet them, receive autographs so that they can buy their product, etc. I, I, I believe a lot of artists need to show a, a lot of gratitude and humble themselves when they see a person like yourself, uh, because VIP broke broke, if you will, a lot of artists. Right. A lot of artists. Right. And um, you know. I, See, I've always been one of those people that I never forgot where I came from. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked at Steviano as the person who invested in me. Right. And I became the person that he, he saw good in me, he invested in me, and he believed in me. And I'm sure there were, there were artists that you felt the same way about coming out of Long Beach or coming out of VIP that possibly don't even care, you know? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people have you know, different ways of, of, of showing it. Uh, but, you know, and then a lot of people just felt like it was fate. You know, they was it was going to happen anyway. Right, right. But uh, 
I know for a fact that if it hadn't have been for independent retail, so I'm not just talking about VIP, I'm, yes. and I'm talking about stores across the country. If it hadn't have been for independent retail, rap music would have never happened. It right. wouldn't have because uh, of, of the fact that we played it in store. People like me, I, was, I used to would listen to a, a rap project and I would take it to Kings Park and I would give it to this guy with this big old boom box that sat up there and drank beer and played dominoes all day yeah. and, and, you know, give him an underground two short tape. And he blasted it all day long at the park. And, and people are like, man, where you get that? So he just pointed me straight yeah. back to VIP. Or I would get that dude that got the lowrider car with the system in it so loud that it'd make your ears bleed. <laughs> so these are my marketing team and stuff. I would give them free stuff, especially right. free independent stuff. And uh, they would go out and blast it. And, you know, they would be cruising around the hood. They would be cruising around the hood. And, and people, you know, I just loved it and stuff, yeah, yes. you know. And so, you know, we, we you know, and that was, you know, one of the uh, independent strategies of street marketing to uh, get music out. Because, uh, you know, at that time, radio wasn't touching it. And the majors didn't believe in it. They said it was just a fad. A fad. And it won't be here long. But... I can say the reason why I knew it was going to last and stuff because early hip early rap was based on music that we loved already. Yes. I mean, you could hum to a Roger and Zap beat and sell it. And sell it. You could hum to Rick James track and Good sell times it. Good times, Yeah, so I mean, it was based on music that we already loved, so it wasn't a hard sell. And if you got a, you know, a, a, a decent rap, and a great hook, you you, you yeah. had a project. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, and you pretty much answered some of my questions. Was how did you feel? I mean, uh, did you think that hip hop was going to last? And you answered that. My next question was: When you first heard it, did you like hip hop? Well, I would say that. Yeah, because I would say a lot of it was be, because it's like not like music today. And, and music today kind of tripped me out because yes. there's something weird that's going on with it. And that the people who buy it, they know all of the verses. Yes. So back in the day, uh, people walked in the store. Uh, all they could say is that, you know, you got that record. I got five on it. And that's it. They don't know no verses right. and stuff. So back then, music was basically hook-driven. But yeah. now, you know, I went to a concert and our future was there. And I mean, the whole stadium was repeating every word. I'm like, man, that's crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was basically, you know, back um, back in the day, it was the it was best beware of my crew, and you know the beat right. and 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 the hook. Right. So you got that. You you had a hit. I remember I went to a record store. And I don't remember where, but it was a white guy there, and he wanted to buy Rapper's Delight. But I remember, and I was a youngster still, and I remember since you brought up it, it was a hook driven, if you will, generation. Uh, he said it goes up. Uh, I said a hip hop. The hip. And that's all he knew, but everybody yeah. knew what that was. Exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, there was another guy that went up to Steve Yano's stand and he goes, it's that song that just goes bass, 
everlasting base. Of course. Yeah, of course. so yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you this, and I know we're jumping ahead. How do you feel about today's version of hip-hop compared to when it first started? Well, I, uh, you know, I, I, I can get into it and stuff, you know. It's just like... <laughs> This is the way music is. And and when it comes to hit records, it's two kind of hit records. It's an instant hit, and then, then it's a manufactured hit. Yes. Now, I'm going to tell you company that manufacture hits. Def Jam, Interscope, uh, Bad Boy. Because it's too many times that they have gave us records that, okay, we're going after this. This is what we're going after this next six weeks. And so, well, we we signed on to market and promote it. So you walk in the store, well, I got to introduce you to it. And then you're like, uh, I'll pass and stuff. But after 500 spins on the radio, after BET, MTV, that same person that said that they didn't want it will walk in and buy it. So they know how to manufacture a hit. So, you um, and, that's what you know happened with a lot of you know a lot of the project i've always said that if i had a, a record i would rather have i would pick a mediocre record and great marketing over great mar uh, great record and mediocre marketing because it's all about marketing and promotion it's yes. all about the impression and impression and impression yes. so but you know uh it is a lot of uh uh, you know, I was fortunate that, you know, we had a, a lot of records that wasn't not hard sales and stuff. Right. So, you know. Okay. Now, um, as far as VIP, when hip hop started taking off, what would you say? Uh, well, if you can remember your first, if you will, rap hip hop in store at VIP at the Long Beach location. First rap in store. I think it Probably, probably was uh, too short. Too short. I think it was too short. Okay. Uh, the first rap in store, and uh, uh, too short uh, was was very special to VIP because uh, I used to sell his underground cassette. Uh, I'm sure it went gold. At VIP, at VIP was, alone, alone, and that was one of the ones that we used to pass out at the park and get to the low rider, and uh, I actually had was they were selling so fast that I had to buy high speed double just to keep up with the requests and stuff yes. because prior to that, you know, mixtapes back then and you, you you set up two cassette decks and do it in real time. I couldn't do that anymore, right, right. but because of uh, Too Short and then, uh, you know, we, we had a great run with the Bay Area, uh, The Click, uh, RBL Posse, yes. and stuff like that. So I would say right after the big run with Easy and NWA, our next big focus was the Bay Area. The Bay Area. And after the run with the Bay Area is when I uh, uh, put together the a VIP studio in okay. Long Beach and started working with local kids. In the Did beach. you ever have NWA in store? I never had an NWA in store, but my big memory about that is that uh, Easy used to come down every Friday <laughs> and his lowrider 
with a trunk full of 12 inch. So I'll buy, you know, whatever I need, a box or two. And uh, I told him one day, I said, man, you, this record is so strong. You don't have to do that no more. I said, the place where we buy our music is, it's called a one-stop. City one-stop. I said, you can take your records there. I said, I know the people. They will carry this. I said, and then you can take all the records there, and you don't have to be making these runs. And right. that's right. how he got it in City one-stop. You know. The boys in the hood 12-inch. When a lot of people talk about West Coast rappers or east coast rappers that have passed away they always mention you know now and with all due respect to them you know biggie Pac, nipsey but a lot of them never really mention easy they, they it almost kind of like because it's been positive so long now that either they forgot or it's more they mentioned more the recent ones if you will Mm. Um, now I said that to say because right outside I have the Source magazine when they announced that Easy had passed away, mm. and I kept that because um, kind of like when I shared with you earlier about when Prince passed away that that was mm. one of the artists that I truly missed. Right. I felt that way about Easy. Yeah, you know I really really felt that, and a lot of Latinos. I, I, I'll speak for uh, our Mexican people; they loved Easy E. Yeah. Like they loved him and I was one of them and I'm not ashamed to it because easy was for me was a real one right you know? it was a real one so may you rest in peace right and um so now uh I know if we could uh jump a little bit ahead um what would you say at VIP was sticking to hip-hop was the most if you will the biggest outcome in store that you've ever had and then maybe if you could give me one that maybe wasn't as what you thought it would be. It was kind of dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely the biggest install we had was uh, the release of uh, Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style. And uh, it was an install that almost didn't happen because, uh, and, and Long Beach got this bad about cancer and events saying that you know they got a phone call that said that if this event take place then a lot of people could get hurt and so we canceled it so wow. <laughs> when they told me that i called uh steve berman over at interscope i'm saying the man the police department said we can't do it <laughs> and so he's like man as much as i invested in this man you gotta do it and so i end up telling them well we, we're gonna do it and so they said well if anything happened it's on you so uh, no, we had a great night that night, and uh, that was, you know, one of the, that was the biggest one, and I would say, audience-wise, the the second biggest one was uh, when Shaq came to Long Beach. Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> yeah, he came in a custom SUV that was long and lowered and stuff. I remember that part because I'm like, it's too low for him to be. When he got out, he was like towering over it. Yeah. But uh, that was a big in-store. Uh, definitely, uh, we had a great in-store with LL. Okay. Came to Long Beach. Uh, uh, we had a good one with Warren and Nate Dogg uh, separately. Uh, awesome. You yeah. ever have a DJ Quick one? I never had a DJ Quick. And, uh, you know, Quick is actually my favorite rapper. Really? Yeah. Now, yeah. now okay, I would like for you to share with the audience, uh, if I'm correct, DJ Slice is there yeah. with a 1200 in your studio at VIP. Yeah. Quick is there, and he hears 
Okay, yeah. And, and you know, I don't I don't know why Slice had never told me this story. I heard it from Quick. So he told me one day, he said, uh, he said, do you know that uh, I decided what I want to do in life in the back of your store? I'm like, yeah, sure. You, early 90s, you hanging out in, in, in Long Beach. I'm like, sure. He said, yeah. He said, uh, you got this uh, producer, DJ Slice. I said, yeah. He said, well, I was there one day and he uh, t had took Zap Computer Love and flipped it and put a beat on it. And this guy was rapping to it. And I'm like, yeah, uh, GQ Steve and DJ Slice, you know, they redid uh, uh, Computer Love. So uh, I'm like, wow, I was just really blown away. That, And he said, that day I took my money, went and bought a drum machine, and my life haven't stopped since. Well, he was already three albums in when yeah. he told me that. And so, so yeah. I had no idea, but... That's the way it was. When I set the studio in the back of the store at that time, VIP used to be open from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So wow. I would come in in the morning, open up the store, go back and unlock the door, turn the equipment on, and it'd just be a floor of yeah. kids all day long and stuff. It was and, you know, like the YMCA. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, you know, a safe environment. It, you know, I, I had, you know, it was a, VIP was a no-fly zone. Right. And stuff, right. you know, and even at that time and stuff, there was issues going on between local gang members and stuff. And, you know, that they worked with a group like 213 that had members from both sets right. doing a project together. I, I consider that as a huge accomplishment. And uh, it kind of re it kind of changed the, the 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 situation in Long Beach as far as uh, redirecting them into doing something positive. Awesome, you know, I got to go to the back of uh, in the studio that you had there with Jinx. Uh, he took me back there. This is when you were putting together your record label, Thin Line Records, right? Uh, record label out of VIP Records. And I remember uh, you bought Jinx a drum machine. I think it cost a little bit over two thousand bucks. Uh, actually, twenty five hundred. Uh, Jinx said, and I don't know how Jinx found out about me, but he came to me one day. Said, "I heard you want to open a recording studio." I'm saying, "Yeah." He said, "Well, I I can help you." So he took me to his house and uh, he showed me. He said, "This is what you need to get." And I said, what is it? And he says, a SP-1200 drum machine. He says, virtually a studio in itself. You can do the beats. You can record the music into it. You can even do the vocals in it and mix it down and they do demos. And I'm like, no kidding. He said, yeah, but he said, uh, this one belongs to Dre. And he said, the closest I can get to it is over Dre's shoulder. So now he telling me he don't even know how to use it. Oh, wow. He just know that this is what I need. So, uh, and I ain't no jinx from nobody <laughs> and stuff. But the fact that his relationship with Dre, and, uh, you know, I know Dre well, and because Dre and my brother Cletus had worked together for years. Yes. So we left that, we left his house, went down to the, uh, Guitar Center on Redondo Beach, and I paid $2,500 for a brand new SP-1200 drum machine, and I gave it to Jinx. Wow. And so about three months later, he came back. He said, okay, I'm ready. Wow. And that's when I set up the makeshift studio in the back of VIP. 
I so imagine. shouts out to Jinx and stuff. It, uh, if it hadn't been for him, I probably never would have made it. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jinx. Uh, I met Jinx in 1987. I want to say he was probably about 16 or 17 years old. And, and that's when, to make a long story short, I, I, I met him at the Swami, that Steve Stan. He gave me his number. Actually, Dre gave me his number said, this is my cousin's uh, 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 number. Uh, call him up. He's producing a record. I didn't know it was you know, for uh, for you. So when I went down there, I, I kind of auditioned. I cut and scratch. And he said, oh, yeah, you're going to be our DJ, and you're going to do a uh, scratch it on a record. And I was like, okay. So we went to Echo Sound. And I, I remember Vacek was the engineer. Oh, wow. I remember that name. Yeah. And uh, I started doing the scratching. And then I think, of, I don't know how long after it came out, but I remember I had the record. That was the first time I ever heard myself scratching on the record. Wow. And I want to say it came out at 88, if I'm correct. Uh, I would be safe to say, I don't know, it seemed like it should have been a little after 88. Uh, uh, because I remember I met him in 87, and that's when we started talking. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, if I still have the vinyl, I know it says the year on there, but yeah. I, I believe that yeah. it's 88. Wow. And um, I still have actually both both copies. Sir Jinx and Dazzy D. Sir Jinx and Dazzy D, yes. And so after that, uh, as a matter of fact, when we were leaving Echo Sound, I saw King T there. That was the first time I saw him and uh, DJ Poole. Oh, wow. You know, and um, I, I wasn't sure who quite Poo was, but I knew damn well who King T was. <laughs> right. You know, but uh, great, great times, great memories for me. And uh, to be able to say that I am a part of uh, VIP history right. to me is a tremendous blessing because, uh, um, you know, I met everybody through Steve. Of course, I met you through my brother going mm -hmm. to a VIP buying records. But I'm just thankful Kelvin that you allowed me to be a part of that record you know right and um, I know after that uh, I guess Jinx and uh, Dazzy uh, went out and did a Slipping Into Darkness and a couple of other songs right. and whatnot right but uh, w w why didn't that label go farther than Jinx and Dazzy D was it because you just had so much going on and you know what it was not only it the west coast kind of have had a curse on it and stuff okay. and 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 the truth of the matter is that we just didn't have the type of we didn't have the freedom of movement that we needed in order to make things happen because uh local radio did not support independent artists right. and stuff you have to be have some kind of special connection or have a lot of money behind you to get radio play because the majors control all other radio play well i mean we had we got like a lot of uh super artists in long beach that were just hood stars was, i can name a gang of them but because of the gang situation and stuff if you the dopest artist in long beach you couldn't even go five miles to Compton. Right. You know, you couldn't go to Inglewood. You can't go to Pasadena. So because of the uh, lack of freedom of movement uh, is one of the things that really stunted the growth of a lot of artists. And, 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 and that's terrible, but that's real. You know, I used to have artists call me from Texas and call me from uh, Florida and uh, call me from Georgia. 
Chicago. We want to, you know, we heard about VIP, so we want to come out there to launch our career and stuff. I'm like, you better stay where you at and stuff <laughs> because, you know, yeah. I, I, I told a guy in Dallas and stuff, I'm saying, man, you in Dallas and stuff, if you uh, uh, conquer your town and then once you conquer your town, now you can go to Fort Worth. You can go to the Houston. You can go all these places and nobody dies. Nobody and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, and I've seen it, yes. you know, you cannot. Yes. So uh, lack of freedom of movement is one of the big reasons that there was uh, was more, a lot more successful artists and stuff. We just didn't know how to come together, man, over dump stuff. You know what, Kelvin? And I'm glad that you brought that up. And I'll tell you why. Because that is one thing that nobody ever brings uh, or brings out or talks about. Right. Uh, uh, let me give you a perfect example, and I've shared it on other shows, where um, when Kid Frost first came out, La Raza, okay, all the Chicanos out here, they weren't like, that's a dope song. They were too busy trying to find out where was he from. Mm -hmm. they, they allowed that gang element oh, yeah. into the music. And after a while, another Chicano would come out, oh, you know what? And their attitude and their mentality was, oh, fuck that fool. He's from that neighborhood. And I'm thinking to myself, this is music. Yeah. This is music. And that's one thing through this platform that I try to bring unity and possibly try to do away with that. Right. I know one man is not going to be able to do it, but it has to start somewhere. Right. You know, and, and I like the fact that you brought up that 213 was a group possibly for different sets yeah. or whatnot, but they came together. Yeah. And that was a good a good thing. Yeah. But but you're right. There were some people that uh, um, couldn't go this far that's because- true. Or where they were from right you know I, I remember back in the day and and i've always spoke out against i've i've, I've been at convention i've been at big convention and i'm talking to people about you know i'm not asking for censorship i said but you should be a little more responsible for what your artist is saying on their record i said because what they what they say on their records can kill them can kill and they them. look at me like that you know what, what do you mean that don't make no sense but perfect example, uh, you remember, and, and I, I, I was shocked to see a major company like Columbia Records to even go there and stuff. When Tim Dog, you know what Tim Dog first big hit record was? Yes. Okay, so then Columbia, they called me and said, uh, we finna do the retail run with Tim Dog. And we want to know, can we have to do an in-store VIP? I said, not only can you not do a in-store VIP, you can't do an in-store nowhere out here. Nowhere. I said, not even the Bay Area, not even San Diego. You can't do that, man. I done told y'all. You know, you you can't play with that. Yeah. You know, I remember, uh, and you know, I don't want to use up too much of the time, but I want to tell you this one. Uh, it's called, speaking of the, the violence type thing, I was at uh, Def Jam Records in New York one time, and so they... That was when the big screens first came out. So right. Leo and Kevin, they set me in the front of this big screen and they showed me a video. And so they, when I finished, I'm looking at them, looking at me and stuff. So when the video was over, uh, they said, what you think about it? I said, oh man, I said, that was a, that was a, that was, y'all put a lot of work into that video. I said, but I said, it, it's a shame that somebody going to die behind that video. They're like, die behind the video, what you talking about? I'm saying, man, I told y'all, man, game banging on the West Coast is real, man. It, you, you can't play with it. So, uh, 
it was BG Knockout and Gangster Dre Dog Pound Killer, Killer. video. Wow. So then they like, oh man, that don't make no sense. Four months later, Def Jam came out here to shoot a Montel Jordan video. And they had went to Malibu, and I was told that the golf course was like $50,000 a day rental for this golf course to shoot this Montel Jordan video. So what happens on first day? Well, of course, Def Jam invited all of their artists. So they invited Warren. So who did Warren invite? He invited the dog pound. Yeah. And so, you know, they invited BG Knockout. And so what happened the first day? Nate hit the guy in the head with the golf club. Now, he, he didn't die, but he could have yeah. and stuff. So that's what I'm saying. So what do you think that was over? It was over that video. That video. And stuff. So, I mean, you know, even bigger than that, I I spoke out against Pac and Biggie. I said, look, this this stuff is good. And when Pac made hit, it, hit him up, I'm like, uh-oh. So now, moving fast forward, Pac is dead, Sugar's in jail, um, uh, Biggie and Puffy's out here for the Soul Train Award. So the night of the Soul Train Award, they had the uh, uh, after party at the House of Blues. So I'm telling my rep, I'm like, man, look, I said, they can't be walking around like that here and stuff. Man, this ain't Brooklyn. I'm like, Pac is dead, Sugar's in jail, and every 15, 20 minutes I'm hearing this record, uh, can't nobody stop me now, can't nobody hold me back. Those were the key lyrics in the song that Puffy had dropped. And I'm like, man, it's like, it's all kind of guys would like to get a feather in their cap for putting a bullet in one of these guys. Yes. Man, I said, they shouldn't be walking around like that. So when I got the call that morning about what happened, well, I wasn't surprised and stuff so i'm like you just game banging on the west coast is real it's real it's real we're gonna press pause right there kelvin and we're gonna be back after this uh, uh commercial break all right but once again go ahead and call somebody text somebody slap the hell out of somebody matter of fact slap some sense into them let them know that kelvin anderson the godfather of long beach is in the building and we're gonna be back after this 10 minute break take us away johnny once again, everybody, welcome back to Rodium Radio episode 36, and we are live here in the city of Wilmington. Uh, let me give some announcements before I come back to my special guest. Uh, once again, the three CDs for 15 bucks. I am considering rep reprinting them again. If I do, they are probably going to have different uh, covers on them. Not sure yet, because I'm thinking about reproducing some newer ones first. Uh, once again, send your videos to uh, rodeonradio at gmail.com. Those of you that have already seen the documentary, give us your feedback in a 20 to 30 second uh, uh, video. 20 to 30 seconds, don't you know? do a documentary, 20 to 30 seconds of what you thought, okay? So hope you guys got your popcorn ready because we're about to go into some West Coast hip hop history with none other than the godfather of Long Beach, uh, Kelvin Anderson, uh, uh, owner of the world famous VIP record store in the city of Long Beach. So now let us pick up because I, you know, Kelvin, there's so much that we can talk about that it's impossible to get yours and your family's history right. in one uh, interview. Right. So um, with all due respect, I would like to skip around a little bit for an example to the day that Snoop Dogg filmed his 
infamous video on the roof of the world-famous VIP record store. Yeah, that was a, a very memorable day. And, uh, man, the turnout was just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, everything went great. Uh, you know, the all-day thing, uh, we had to close. Not only did we close the VIP, we closed down the whole center mm -hmm. uh, uh, that day to shoot the video. And, uh, man, it was just uh, uh, one hell of a day uh, <laughs> that... You know, prior to that, you know, VIP records, just VIP records. But after the launch and the success of the music video, that's the reason why we had to change it to world famous VIP records because uh, uh, we got attention from all around the world and stuff. And to this day, uh, this is 26 years after the release of that video that people still come want to come and see where Snoop Dogg's career was launched from. Yeah, you know, and it, 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 it's safe to say it went global. Oh, yeah. It went global and yeah. started there, if you will, in Long Beach, VIP being the mecca, if you will, of Long Beach because most people, when they come to Long Beach, there's two places that they visit. Right. Queen Mary. Right. And VIP Records. That's definitely on most people's list. Yes. Definitely. And it's a place that people around the world is familiar with. If you just, you know, ask someone to name two places in Long Beach, those would be the two places. Yes. Now, how did that video come about? Did Was it Snoop's idea? Was it the record label's idea? Uh, uh, how were you contacted for that video shoot? Well, I, it was Snoop's idea, and uh, I was contacted by uh, the label from by Interscope uh, that, you know, I already had a great relationship with them. And so, uh, you know, they told me that, you know, Snoop wanted to shoot a portion of the video on the roof of VIP. And so, could we make that happen? So, I said, uh, yeah, we can make it happen. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we did. And uh, like I say, man, it's like, it got to be right up there in the top five all-time videos. Right. Because uh, if you look at the amount of play and spins that it got and just the uh, overall uh, attention that it, you know, this this logo is like, I don't care where you go, someone is going to recognize the logo. And, uh, the logo <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I went on a cruise. Uh, I went to uh, a, a cru cru cruise to Alaska, and it's like people over there like question me about it. You know, one of my customers, uh, he uh, got a shirt, and he was on his way to Africa. He spent like a week in Africa. So when he got back, he said, "Man," he said, uh, "I I don't." He said, "I can't tell you what I wore Monday." He said, but Tuesday I wore my VIP shirt and people were just engaged with them and stuff. He said, man, I had people to buy me drinks, buy me food. He said, Wednesday he wore something else and nobody even recognized him. He said, I wore my shirt Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He said, I even wore it back <laughs> on the plane. And wow. I just got, you know, people just engaged with it. They had so many questions about it. Right. Had, you know, that's somewhere you ever been and stuff like that. So it has an effect on people. Yes. Well, you you have the the most, if you will, the most famous rapper on planet Earth, <laughs> you know, dancing and rapping on top of VIP records. Yeah. 
yeah. with VIP Records. And I was there. As a matter of fact, me and John Elkins here were there when they voted that the sign will be considered a historical landmark. Right, you know? right. And to, to me, uh, I was saddened, okay, because you had moved buildings, mm -hmm. you know, and then it was going to be turned into a 7-Eleven, or it is a 7-Eleven. <laughs> it is a 7-Eleven. The sign was going to be taken down, and I'm thinking, like, what the hell? Like, they're yeah. not going to move the Queen Mary. Why are you guys moving this? Yeah. Was there a reason, Kelvin, that it, that building or that your store could not have been safe? You know, uh, how did you, How did? I don't want to use the word ended up losing it. Right. But why, why was there a move? Uh, well, I would say we originally moved out of that location in like 2014 and we kind of bounced around this uh, center for a while. Uh, but we moved out because the rent was extremely too high right. for the amount of business that, you know, we were doing. And, you know, I, I look back and think about when Tower Records closed, I was uh, uh, contacted and interviewed by a lot of the media. And they said, you know, we just want to get your feelings on the closing of Tower Records. I said, well, it's Tower Records today, but it could be VIP tomorrow because, you know, it, they didn't close because they weren't good business people. It's just that you can't compete, <coughs> excuse me, you can't compete with free right. and stuff. So that's the reason why, you know, uh, a lot of the stores closed. It's just that the fact that nobody really had to buy music to get music and the fact that you know the record industry as a whole labels and distributors was going into a different direction as far as how they were spending their marketing and promotion dollars and they just figured that you know we just do it we'll market through text and market through myspace it's right. what they told a lot of us that was used to getting marketing dollars and stuff which contributed greatly to keeping the store open, keeping your bills paid and stuff like that. So when they took all that away, that's the reason why chain stores closed is because of the marketing promotion dollars outside of the fact that sales was down. Right. And there wasn't so much of, of a demand anymore for vinyl cassettes or right. whatnot. Everything was the world. Well, this is your record player now, pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, for those of you that are watching and love hip-hop, whether it's West Coast or whether it's East Coast, but just love hip-hop. Um, Kelvin has a story about, well, that how you met and had an install for Craig Mack. Oh, yeah. And his sidekick, or I don't want to use the word yeah. sidekick, the guy that came <laughs> with him that day. Yeah, well, actually, it was uh, just a retail run. It wasn't an actual install. Uh, like every artist, uh, when... Uh, labels sign an artist r&b hip-hop or whatever uh vip was always on the schedule of the, re in the re uh, retail run where they just take them around and introduce them to the retailers and stuff like that so uh craig mack being the face of bad boy when bad boy first launched he came to vip and he you know he got this big fat guy with him and stuff with a craig mack t-shirt <laughs> that I took a picture with in the front of VIP, which it turned out to be, uh, at the time, Biggie Smalls. 
Yeah, but, you know, we know uh, later on after that he got sued for the name and had to change it to the Notorious B.I.G. But, uh, yeah, uh, when Biggie came to Long Beach, he was just a sidekick and stuff. And he used to call me when he come out, uh, when he's on his way out and stuff and want to know if I could hook him up with Snoop. He wanted to hang out with Snoop. And so, uh, yeah, but, yeah, Biggie was cool and stuff. I had a yeah. few interesting conversation with him. I remember you had shared that with me that he would call out here and hang out with Snoop, uh, whatnot. And I believe at one point they were really cool, you know. Yeah. Is is it safe to say that the media possibly uh, blew it up about this East Coast West Coast beef thing? Because um, at one well, point, like you're saying, they, they were actually yeah, uh, yeah. That didn't help any. I think the fact that you had these two. Uh, uh, labels that felt like that, uh, uh, you know, well, they was both reaching for the crown. Right. So, uh, uh, and, and it's just, it was just that nature of the beast and stuff that, right. uh, you know, instead of teaming up and because it, it, to this day, they both would have still been making crazy amount of money yeah. if they was you know still with us but you know it's just that it, it was more the west coast than the east coast because you know it's just that that the west coast that was just they think i mean we deal with it is it's crazy and stuff that within the game situation in long beach you got two rival games in long beach that's all crips and stuff now crips well, they would come together to fight Bloods. Right. Now, Crips and Bloods would come together to fight guys from the East Coast. So, I mean, they are coming together points. Right. And stuff. But, you know, it's just, it, 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 it just never made any sense to me and right. stuff. But, uh, you know, it was something that, you know, hopefully, you know, I've, I'm seeing some changes now, right. but it's still not enough changes that, you know, we can, you know, feel safe on going to any city, right. promoting your product or your music and stuff. But it's, it's have definitely held the West Coast back. That's the reason why, you know, uh, people like Cash Money was able to flourish until they were just so dug in to, you know, they had the money to, to pay for the airtime or whatever and stuff. But if, you know, if they had the same type of situation in their city as we had on the West Coast, it wouldn't have blew, it wouldn't have blew up like that. Right. So freedom of movement is, is, is such a major important part yeah. of being able to market and promote yourself. You know, it's like, thank God for, you know, social media today because a lot of those guys <laughs> would not be who they are if it hadn't been for social media. And I'm because, so glad you're saying this. Yeah, you can lay across your bed with your laptop and do the same thing they're doing at Warner Brothers and stuff. You know, I learned a lot about social media from my uh, nephew, Absol, and stuff because I used to go by the record store when he was working at the record store in Carson, Magidish Records. And he said, okay, Uncle, I'll be with you in a few minutes. I'm finishing up this interview. So he online doing an interview and overseas somewhere and stuff. Wow. So it's just, you know, that's the, what social media have allowed, you know, artists to be able to do is reach people, not yeah. just around your city, but across the world. And uh, he actually had a name for himself 
you know, internationally, even before the deal with uh, TDE. You know, you know, Kelvin, you brought up a great point because there's a lot of people today because of social media, they are Instagram famous. Yeah. You know, and I'll speak for myself. You got a lot of cocky ass artists out there today that believe the hype of social media because they may get a thousand likes on a picture. They may get 2,000 views or something, and all of a sudden they're a rapper or you're an Instagram model or whatnot. And I'm not hating on that, but what I am pointing out is we live in a different time that you need to be thankful for technology because back then you literally had to work. Okay. You had to travel. Oh, yeah. You had to go places. You had to be a nice guy. And yeah. How you doing, Calvin? Can we have an in-store here or whatnot? Right. Today it's like, well, I'll just do a laptop. I mean, I'll do a beat on my laptop and then take a picture of myself and it might go viral. Yeah. You know, it might yeah. go viral. So uh, we live in a good time, especially a good technology time. But a lot of these artists today, I see them on the streets and they act like they're movie stars. You know, like they really, I, I don't get that. Right. Never paid any dues. Right. I don't get that. But I'm sure somebody out there will probably get mad for me saying what I'm saying. But honestly, right. I don't give a damn. Well, yeah, no, so. that's, that's, that's real. You know, it's, uh, uh, there are, I would say, you know, I still talk to a lot of the young people that remembers right. and, and, and and pay homage to uh, not only, you know, what I've done to where, how it all started and stuff and, and, the, and the things that we had to go through uh, in the early days as far as uh, making sure that uh, people had an avenue to uh, sell a merchandise and... Uh, and market and promote themselves. You know, I've always had, and me, myself, I always had a lot of independent artists, billboards up on the wall yes. of VIP. And, you know, it was like, that was all those guys' dream was to have a billboard up there. Yes. You know, they felt like that if they got on the side of the building, they made it. Yes, yes, because we had really had nothing else. Yeah. We can say, go to VIP. And you'll see me up there. Yeah. Like that was like, it was, I don't want to use the word they made it, but it, it gave, gave them that feeling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, so now you shared with me a story. Uh, I, I want to say maybe about 12 years ago, you guys went to Paisley Park. Oh, yeah. We, uh, uh, we was me and uh, from the West Coast, my good friend Violet Brown. Shout out to Violet. Uh, I got an interesting story to tell you about Violet one day. <laughs> but, uh, uh, from me being mad at her being at the meetings in, you know, we used to have independent retail meetings. Yes. And so, uh, uh, I'm like, ain't she from a chain store? What, what, what's she doing here? <laughs> so, uh, uh, after the first, I would say after the first meeting, uh, you know, they would call me and say, we having a meeting and stuff. I'm like, is Violet going to be there? And they said, yes, she's going to be there. I said, okay, well, I'll come. Because, I mean, right off, I learned so much from her. Yes. And so, and found out how deep she was until, man, I just love her and stuff, man. And she's so open and caring yes. and sharing and stuff. See, that's one of the problems, you know, in life and stuff that people can just say things that can help you. You know, it costs yes. you nothing to share information and stuff. And she's always been that person and stuff to the point where if I got something independent underground that's hot, I'm going I'm to let her know because uh, not only was she supported, see, she also have an ear. Yes. <laughs> she yeah. has an ear like 
better than most people that I know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, Violet and I and probably like 10 other retailers from across the country uh -huh. was uh, fortunate enough to be invited to Paisley Park. Okay. And so we went there and Prince gave us a tour of the compound and what was the, the evening ended with them giving a full dress concert. Concert for you guys. For like 12 people, a full concert. And it, it, I was just blown away. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a few things that have happened, you know, over my life that, you know, it was just unbelievable and stuff. Yeah, uh, things that is real hard to forget because they're so memorable. Yeah. You know, I got to see Prince in concert when the Purple Rain album dropped. That was about the only time that it was, I should say, as close as I got to him. Never had an opportunity to meet him. That's probably one of the artists that I wish I could have met. Even just to share, like I met Curtis Blow, Melly Mel, all great, great guys. Mm -hmm. But to, that's one of the guys that I wish I could have truly have met. You know, and, and I'll be honest with you, it really hurts me to think sometimes when I listen to all his music that like, wow, man, I could have just, if I could have just met that guy, even just as, you know, uh, it's kind of like a, an actor that I would like to meet uh, one day, Clint Eastwood. I would like to meet Clint Eastwood. I would like to meet, you know, uh, Sylvester Stallone. I haven't met those guys yet, but mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of movies. I'm a big fan of music. So those are, if you will, on my bucket list. Right, you right, so, right. Uh, um, is there any... Uh, memorable moments that you would say as far as an artist that you've that you've met that you said man that guy was such a great guy i'm sure there's many of them but any of them stand out man artists singers r&b singers because i know you've met michael jackson i know you met prince uh, yeah you know i i uh uh just projects that really stands out uh key sweat when key sweat made uh, that was a, his first album, Make It Last Forever, was a remarkable album. And then when 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 I think about you know something that I, I dealt with a soul over the years uh, that was impactful, uh, that album I remember, uh, and we had it when it first came out. It was vinyl that people would come in and and they would buy it. The, they bought the record off of the first single, and. Uh, they just kept every so often they would release another song and so people would think it's another new album and stuff so that album stayed in our top 10 for like a year because of how they strategically released it singles off of it and stuff so that album was 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 something that i remember a lot because it just so strong for whole year and you had people coming in there buying the album over right. thinking that it was a new album i'm like no just flip the album over it's, right, it's, it's right. on the other side so uh you know that album um i would say you know i was always big on independent projects and stuff because you know i feel that i have an ear too and you can bring a record to me and i'm gonna listen to it and once I listen to it, I already know who I'm going to sell it to because I already know my customer base. So I'm all, I, you could be pulling up in the lot. I'm like, let me get that because <laughs> you're going to buy it. Right, stuff right. Because, uh, you know, and that's one thing uh, independent versus most uh, chain stores is that 
we most independent stores were ran by somebody that was really personable with the store, either the owner or relative or yes. something that we cared. I, I I noticed visiting a lot of chain stores that the people that was working there was somebody who was working their way through college because they they doing more homework than watching the people who walking out the door with half of the inventory. Right. So right. so <laughs> so uh. uh so that means that you know we 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 bought music to sell and stuff. Whereas uh, back then, a lot of the chain stores they bought deals and stuff. Okay. They bought the ten percent and and the ten percent in advertising and the ten percent in de uh, free goods and stuff like that. They ain't really care whether they sold them or not. Well, when you independent retailer go to city one stop or something, we I I plan to not to take it back. Right, right. So we right. we were more personable about what we bought and sold than you know the bigger box stores because uh, you know we we were just into it like that. Awesome, awesome. So now I know you guys have been working on a documentary, yeah, a VIP documentary. Uh, can you share a little bit about that and what can people what can people expect when they see the documentary? Yeah, I uh you know definitely wanna uh complete this documentary. I would say uh I'm probably about seventy percent done with it. Uh um my co producer that I started this project with uh unfortunately passed away and uh you know we was really focusing on the move. Uh, so I just got to regroup and, and get back on it. But I got some real interesting interviews on there. Uh, you know, I even have uh, uh, Rest in Peace Ricky Harris got a real cool uh, interview with him on there. And uh, so it's something that I got to get done. Yes. Uh, you know, like this interview and stuff, it, it could be a three-part documentary. Yes. Because uh, I definitely uh, would love for it to start with my brother Cletus, who is the founder of VIP, and put so many things in motion. Yes. Uh, so, uh, uh, but it it would be it would be interesting, and and definitely will uh, enlighten people on a on a lot because okay. VIP did some pretty special things over the years, and definitely was uh, a big part of launching a lot of careers. Yes. Now, can you share with us a little bit what you shared with me earlier? about what can people expect about this, uh, you know, the soon to come or eventually uh, VIP experience. Oh, okay, yeah. I had, uh, uh, first, the, you know, a lot of people still come to the store and they want to know where the sign is. So I still have the sign, it's in storage. Uh, I was fortunate enough with a situation with Adidas to make a replica of the sign that's real nice. So when people come to the store, they have something to see. But uh, my, my first goal was to open a black music museum and the museum would, uh, I wanted to tell the story from, from, from uh, the eight track all the way to hologram. So awesome. I, I envisioned this museum where a great grandmom could walk in with her great grandkids and she explained it to them what the eight track is, the cassette 45s. And as you walk through the museum and stuff, when it, at the end of the museum, now they explaining to her digital, uh, they explain to her what a hologram is and stuff like that. So it would just be a whole 
uh, uh, four or five generational experience yes. uh, theirs. So uh, because uh, in, in, in going through this journey, I, I see what what it actually takes to do a museum. <laughs> so don't look like that's going to happen, but I still want to do a VIP experience. And a VIP experience will be, uh, I would say, something similar to a museum uh, because I still got like, a, you know, gold records. I still got uh, posters and plaques and pictures, uh, a lot of the old equipment and stuff. You know, back in the day, you know, we had reel to reels and stuff. So I have things that I could show to, uh, you know, people that would come through that they would be interested in seeing. Right. I remember a few years back and the, the museum idea came when there was a guy came in the store and they walked down this aisle and, and he had his two sons with him that seemed to be like 11 or 12 and he saw a vinyl record and he said, Dad, he said, what's that? And so everybody in the store laughed, and so he explained it to him what it was and stuff, and he picked it up. He said, well, how do you put it in? Wow. And stuff. So I said, you know, this is a story that needs to be told. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, you know, all of that stuff uh, plays a real important part and stuff. You know, I uh, a lot of time I would say when you think of the history of the business and stuff, I would say that uh, uh, Mahalia Jackson – is, is her history is just as important to me as Snoop Dogg's and stuff because it was so impactful, you know, back in her day and stuff. So, yes. and it's just music in general and stuff. Like, you know, people, we always say that we specialize in jazz, gospel, R&B, blues, reggae, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and hip hop. And so all of those segments of the music industry means a lot to me because I lived it okay. and was a part of it. Now, um, uh, you know, I had a question for you as far as Steve Yano on a different note. I did this documentary, and of course, you're working on your documentary. Uh, do you think that it was in, do you, or do you believe that it was important that Steve Yano's story, legacy be documented? Without a doubt. Uh, you know, me uh, being someone who knew Steve personally and, and saw, you know, the impact that he had on the music industry and the uh, impact that he had on just uh, especially rap music yes. and, and, and the impact he had on Dre and Easy. Those are like names that's humongous. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm so happy that you took the initiative to put that in motion and actually to complete the journey because he's definitely very deserving of it and stuff, kind of in the same way that I'm on my brother Cletus about, you know, documenting his past because he touched so many lives along the way uh, and and actually just put in the, really put in the hard work. Yes. So the same thing with Steve and stuff, man. He, 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 he really cared about what he, it wasn't just about making money and stuff he know himself that he changed lives and stuff and and, and he did that because that was his choice to do so so yeah i mean he is definitely uh, uh very divert deserving of this uh honor that you guys have put together for him 
Yes, thank you very much. And once again, I do believe, uh, like what you were saying about your brother Cletus, his story should be told. I believe your story, your story should be told. And uh, I would even say King Tim's story should be told, you know. <laughs> um, but I hope that that does take place and it comes out soon because I definitely want to buy it. I definitely want to support. Yeah. I love VIP. I've been going to VIP as, as, a, as a kid. I mean, I, so I, I wear the shirt because once again, I support it 100%. So if there's anything that we can do here at Rodeo Radio, uh, we want to be able to help and contribute to the VIP experience or the VIP documentary. Right. So at this time, Kelvin, if there's any shout out to anybody you want to, you know, say hello to right now is the opportunity if you would hey. like to. All right. Well, definitely. I want to say, send a shout out to my kids, my family, uh, Tasha, Tanisha, Kelvin Jr., Rakesha, uh, my daughter Latasha, she <laughs> she ran VIP for many years and uh, uh, she actually allowed me to be able to go out and go to conventions and, and go out and network, So, which also led to me being the man on the West Coast as far as the go-to person by a lot of the record labels and stuff. So, uh, you know, without that, I would have been, you know, still stuck on <laughs> MLK and PCH. Yes, so she, yes. she, she definitely did a lot to uh, propel VIP into uh, where it where it is today. And my son, he spent quite a few years working uh, behind the counter, making sure that uh, VIP was okay. And my daughter Tanisha also contributed greatly but you know a shout out to you know all our siblings that grew up in the record business and stuff you know uh nieces nephews so VIP was a family thing yes and uh even my sister Lisa she started out at VIP in Long Beach and uh, she was fortunate enough to have two successful record stores during her time that she owned uh, so, you know, that and, you know, I want to thank all of, uh, thank Long Beach and uh, all yes. the other areas for the support, like I say, on the block for 41 years. And, uh, you know, I, I do really feel that this is the last year because, not because, you know, business is slow, but it's some other things that I like to do in life yes. while I'm still you know, healthy and, and could probably do them. So uh, the VIP experience will be something that will uh, keep um, uh, VIP uh, going and something that, you know, people can still come and experience because I still, last week I had some people that came in from France and when they came to the store, they said they hadn't even checked into their Airbnb yet. So wow. they came from the airport to the store because they just had to come there. Yes. So we still get those type people. And uh, so it's important to me to keep a presence yes. in Long Beach. Absolutely. Uh, uh, just for what VIP means to so many. Right. Awesome. Well, for a lot of people that may not live out here in the Harbor area, uh, from Wilmington to Long Beach, just one street, PCH. That's right. And you would run right into <laughs> VIP. So you could still go visit him, uh, take a picture with him, buy whatever he has, buy him out. That's what I'll say. <laughs> so here's what I give my shout outs. First of all, I want to thank, uh, Kelvin Anderson. I want to thank Cletus. I want to thank King Tim. 
I want to thank VIP and the VIP family, the world famous VIP family. Uh, um, VIP not only was the rhodium a big part of my life, but also VIP. Again, that's the first time I ever saw the first DJ cutting scratch. Happened to be Calvin Anderson's brother, King Tim. So much love, uh, much respect to them. And everybody out in Long Beach, I got mad love for Long Beach. Uh, uh, much love and much respect uh, to the city of Long Beach. Uh, other than that, I would like to thank my boy, John motherfucking Elkins, for making this possible. I would like to thank uh, DG, DG Media Clips. Also, like to thank uh, my son, B. Scanless, who just celebrated his 29th birthday. And um, other than that, um, Sunday, I will be here with two guests. We're going to have a double feature on Sunday. Okay. Once again, on Sunday, put that down on your calendar. And then I'm going to do something extra special. Next week, I'm going to do a Tuesday and a Wednesday. I usually do just Sundays and Wednesdays, but I'm going to do Tuesday and a Wednesday. The reason why I'm having a special guest here on Tuesday is because this is a, a duel, two guys, and they're actually out of Long Beach. Okay. They're, that's why I'm announcing that they're actually out of Long Beach. One of them lives in New York, but he's only down here visiting, and I got to get those two guys together. So tune in Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So I'd like to thank everybody once again, Rodian Radio, episode 36. Uh, uh, Kelvin uh, Anderson, I'm going to be bringing him back soon because there's so much more history. So be looking out. Thank you, everybody. You guys have a blessed night, and we'll see you guys Sunday night. Thank you. Take us away, Johnny.